Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Ray Allen has been the host with most for most of his adult life. He started by emceeing comedy shows at clubs in New York City. In the late 2000s, he launched a live interactive talk show, Late Net with Ray Allen, first for his own website, dailycomedy.com, later licensing it to air on AOL. Allen also became the host for the official off-Broadway live edition of The Gong Show, receiving Chuck Barris's blessing to do so. Before the pandemic, Allen also co-created, hosted, and executive produced a topical stand-up showcase for Comedy Central called This Week at the Comedy Cellar. Perhaps most uniquely, Allen has spent the better part of a decade living half of his time in Aruba, where he produces, hosts, stand-up shows for locals and tourists alike on the Caribbean island as Aruba Ray. I have experienced Aruba Rays for myself and got Ellen to tell me all about how he wound up a fixture on a tropical island and much, much more. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance. And now that that's out of the way, let's get to it. So, Ray Allen, I've known you for a long time, but this is the first time we're podcasting. So thank you for joining me. Last things first, when was the first time someone called you Aruba Ray? Uh, I believe the, the first time that happened was 10 years ago. I started coming to Aruba about 10 years ago this week. And it was Dan Natterman, a fellow comedian, Dan Natterman. I, I was coming to Aruba every month for like eight, nine days a month for a year, just as like, just to get out of the city. I was burnt out. I'd finished doing the, this, the late net show. And I kept traveling back and forth. And then Adam one day goes, Oh, look who's back in town. It's Aruba Ray. So it was Dan about nine and a half years ago. What was it about Aruba? Because, you know, there are many tropical, lovely tropical places in the Caribbean. What was it about Aruba specifically? Was it, I remember Lewis Black did commercials. Was it, was it Lewis Black's sales pitch on TV that got you to Aruba? No, no. It was actually uh, this, a, a fan who kept telling me, you know, coming to all these different shows and like saying, oh, you should come to Aruba. I have a condo in Aruba. And I was like, I, no, I'm not traveling to South America with someone I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and then, like a year goes by and I realized this is just a really nice person who was offering me to go to, go to Aruba. And so I went not knowing much, not, I knew they, I got a good vibe from them. And then I knew nothing about Aruba. And then I came here and I was immediately so taken by, cause I've been to tons of other islands. The people are amazing. The beaches are some of the best in the world. The, uh, the restaurants are outstanding. You feel safe anywhere you go on this island. You feel safe. I was just taking a friend of mine around yesterday on a tour of the island. And I just said, anywhere we want to go is, is great. I feel safer here than I do in America, for sure. In yeah, I, I would, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a satisfied customer. I have been to Aruba twice in the past six years. Both times I've visited the Aruba Ray comedy show. 
And both times I've been so pleasantly surprised at how hassle-free and how just, I mean, if you need a tropical island to just have no cares in the world, Aruba is a, is a great place to do it. But I've seen your show in two different resorts now. How long were you going to Aruba before the idea popped in your head? Maybe I could make this a business. Probably by the third trip. So this was uh, in, 2020, in 2012, maybe uh, it was probably eight, May of 2012, where I thought, you know what? At night, people, they can go to casinos, they can go to restaurants, there's some bars. It's not a crazy nightlife scene. There's stuff to do. But at that point, I'm like, I want to spend more time here. I think shows will do well here. I think most of the, of the tourists are um, most, mostly American tourists, you know, some Canadian, some European, but mostly American. And I just thought they would enjoy the shows. And I knew which comedians would, you know, work well for this crowd. You get a lot of people from the Northeast. Yeah, other parts of America as well. You do get some California and Oregon and Texas and the Carolinas, but it's predominantly Northeast, it seems. Um, And that's when I thought about it. And then in April of 2013, so I met with different venues. I wanted to try to rent space in different places. And there's not a lot of spaces to rent. And and, and I am a foreigner here, obviously. So doing business can be as could as its challenges. And there was a magician who had a show in a theater uh, in one of the hotels. It was a great little theater, but he'd been there every, every night for five years. So I said to the GM, if this guy ever leaves, let me know. And then a month later, I get a, I get a, a call from the GM. He goes, hey, the magician disappeared. Was, <laughs> the magician disappeared. <laughs> he disappeared. <laughs> Poof, he was gone. So I was like, great. I said, email me the contract. And I didn't have like a total game plan, but... I knew which comedians I was first going to bring. I worked with Brian McFadden and Chuck Nice. We we did like every Friday, Saturday together at the comic strip for like four years in a row. It was crazy. Amazed they didn't shuffle up the lineup. But we were together on these shows for like four years in a row. And I said, I go, look, I'm trying to put shows together in, 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 on this island. It's gorgeous. I think you guys would enjoy it. Do you want to do them with me? They said, yes, we did it in April of that year of 2013, it went, it went well. I knew there was something there. I mean, it wasn't profitable, but I just knew I had to get the word out really, but the show itself was great. The venue was really great. And then it gradually just kept picking up and getting a little bigger and bigger. And I started making the, you know, more and more shows. And then of course, bringing more comedians. So now I've probably had close to 200 different comedians over the past uh, almost, almost 10 years. So, or nine years, I should say. And you're spending how much time in Aruba versus how much time in New York City? Probably five months a year in Aruba altogether. And then probably five months in New York. And then the other two months are like L.A., Boston and whatever other random gigs, Florida occasionally, you know, or whatever corporate event you do. (laughs) Well, you, you know, you mentioned the comic strip, and I think that's the first place. I ever saw you was hosting at the, at the strip. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. What, that's where we met. What was the, what was the first show you ever hosted? Wow. That was probably, I probably had just been in New York a little while. So I was probably like 23. So I don't remember who it's funny. I should remember who's on the show. I have an old playbill. They used to have print up a playbill and like just a sheet and, um, one of them was definitely Ray Romano for sure. Uh, he wouldn't remember that, but I, I do. I don't remember. It's funny. The first, I, I wish I, I wish I remember the very first night I hosted. 
because I didn't know. I remember there was a waitress who worked there who ended up becoming a talent agent. And and she said to me, she goes, oh, he, he booked you to host. He must he must think highly of you because I only was doing sets. And then he put me on a weekend to host. So it was it was I didn't I, I wish I had a time machine just to go back and just to, there's so many things I wish I could go redo or refeel. It strikes me like you've you've built out in an entire career as a host and there's not a lot of there's certainly not a lot of stand-up comedians who do that on purpose so right you know i'll tell you sean it's it's interesting i know so many comics don't like hosting i love it i've always enjoyed it i hosted shows starting in in high school and i did obviously stuff in, in college but i i just like it i like you can make it like you can help really shape the night and and you know create a certain vibe and it's really fun you know to me to to have the time to interact with people and do material and i just i really like it i like that you're sort of the constant thread i I, you know it's funny when i played baseball i was a pitcher i like that i like that you're sort of in some ways like the constant throughout the game when i played soccer i was the goalie I like that. I like that they're sort of, you know, I just, I just sort of like in basketball, I was a point guard. There's just something about maybe it's a, a feeling of control or maybe. I was just about to say, like, maybe it's a control issue. It could be, it could be, but it's just something about it. And, you know, it's funny when I was a kid, I'd see my mother would host parties in the house. It wasn't, you know, sometimes she, she was a classical piano. Sometimes she played piano for the guests, but often they were playing, you know, cards or dinner parties, whatever. And I probably just picked up something from seeing that, how she just kept it. It was fun and everyone had a good time. And it was always, and maybe there's an element to that. I don't know. But um, I just, I just, I really, I just love hosting stuff. And and it's funny. And then most people be like, oh, I wouldn't, they don't want to host a stand up show. They wouldn't want to host a game show. They want to host a talk show. I, I, I enjoy doing all those things. I think it's, I think it's fun. Yeah. When I moved to New York City in 2007, you were hosting live shows at the strip. But then you also had this show called Late Net. Yeah, that's right. Tell me, tell me uh, how that came about. Because when I went back earlier today and yesterday to look at like your IMDb and your your own online bio, it mentions like a, a variety of other shows that I never heard of. So, right. <laughs> and I guess they might have been on like cable access or I don't know where they were. So tell me, tell me how Late Net came about. So late, late net, I, I was, I started a website called dailycomedy.com uh, with a guy I met. It's funny. My mom always said to me, my mom always said, you should do every, every, don't ever turn down any gig. You never know what, what it'll lead to. And I went on this really crappy late night radio show. I think it was AM radio and I like two in the morning and on it, I met this guy. He was an older guy. He used to work at AOL and we were just talking about comedy and comedy on the internet whatever and the next day I got I got a, an email from him and he just said to me basically um you know why don't you come up to my house he had a townhouse in the Upper East Side and we talked about what could we do online in the comedy space and together we founded we started dailycomedy.com which really was really good and honestly it was kind of ahead of its time it, we had a, a lot of different great comedians who would post topical material and like create videos, sketches, that kind of stuff. And the competition at the time was like, you know, like Turner had a big website, Funny or Die had just launched, Bud, 
Budweiser launched Bud TV, which <laughs> they put $30 million into their website. And Daily Comedy outlasted everything except Funny or Die. And it really did pretty well. A lot of comics. And then there were other comics that would post stuff. Like, there are comics that you, I know, that you really like. I mean, guys like uh, Keith Alberstadt, Gary Veter. Um, there's someone, in, and I'm, I feel terrible. I'm not remembering her name right now. But she's, she's won Emmys for working on the John Oliver show. And they would just come on and post really funny stuff um, just, just for the hell of it. Um, it was a really good site. So I always wanted to host the late night talk show. I always wanted to, you know, have the tonight show or Letterman show, any show like that. Mm -hmm. And I thought, all right, maybe we can do something like this through daily comedy. So that was the, so it was, it was to put content on daily comedy and we partnered with a company that had this technology where basically you could, you could, you people from all over the world could jump in on their webcams and watch the show. I mean, this is long before Zoom. I mean, this was, you know, whatever, 13 years ago. So it was, it was before Zoom existed. Skype, I don't think, was, was happening yet. So they had this cool technology. And the hard part, in, in the, I mean, I was really overseeing everything. I dealt with the venue. I would make sure I could get audience to come. I was booking the guests, which was the hardest part. And, and you know, the guests were great. We had, like, you know, uh, Leonard Nimoy and Paul Schaefer and Chevy Chase and Hank Azaria, Fran Drescher. I mean, people I was really excited to meet and talk to. So it went really well. We'd have like a, you know, a couple hundred people in like the live audience and then people watching all over the world. And I set up a monitor on my desk and people could ask questions in real time to my guest. And it, it was, it was really something. And then AOL um, agreed to take on the show and I really thought, I'm like, this is it. This is going to like, <laughs> it's going to go through the Rue. It was a big company. I mean, it wasn't as relevant as, you know, as Google or Yahoo, but it's still big. It's a right. big company with millions and millions of, of users. Um, anyway, we started doing it there and we moved to a nicer studio and like the production values were even better. Um, and then AOL was taken over, got a new CEO. This is the first time I learned, I'd heard these stories, but I experienced it firsthand. New CEO came in. He let go of like 200 people in the New York office, including everybody who oversaw my show. And that was the end of that. And I was so burnt out at the time. People said to me, well, why don't you continue doing the show as a podcast? At the time to do a podcast, you had to like get into a studio and do it. And I was fried and it was just, it was just a lot. And, um, and that's when I, that is when I came to Aruba just to get away from New York. I, and I really thought to myself, Sean, I just want to travel all over the world. I want to go to Europe. I want to do this, I want to do that. I came to Aruba and I, I loved it so much that I just kept coming and coming. And I was really burnt out. I mean, I was fried. I was, I didn't feel like in a good place. I was just unhappy that I was bummed that late and that it ended. Um, and I was bummed that like, unless I could find a, a quickly find a new home for it with MSN or Yahoo, or wherever, I just sort of like, I was just tapped out. And so coming to Aruba really just was a great life-changing experience. I mean, and I, and I, that's why I kept coming here as often as I could not thinking about performing here, just, just to kind of try to save my life. You know, yeah. it was just so. Ugh. Everything about late night kind of amazes me though. In, in retrospect, I think it amazed me at the time too, because the tech wasn't there yet. And also you were, you know, you, you mentioned you were booking your own guests, but you were booking famous 
famous entertainers. And it's like, how right. is he booking these people for this show that I don't know who's watching or how they're watching? And then it's interactive, but the infrastructure online isn't there for for interactivity. So I don't know how this is all happening. Is this like a, a unicorn of a show? Well, thank you. It was it was interesting. And we had some technical glitches for sure. I mean, when we first started doing it, yeah, like venues weren't wired to really handle the kind of internet we needed. And getting guests, Fran Drescher was the first big guest. And she was like, my sister had a friend who had a friend who knew Fran. <laughs> and we basically like, you know, I we the I, we really did a big push for her charity. That's what it was. Uh, for breast breast cancer re- research, uh, she's a breast cancer survivor and a great spokesperson for that cause. And then it was just it was a it, it, I don't know how we did it. It was just such a hustle. I mean, getting you know Leonard Nimoy. It's, I loved everybody I had on the show. I, I really did. But Leonard Nimoy, it's like I was never like this crazy big Star Trek fan. I like Star Trek, but I knew what an icon he was. And he he came, he got there an hour before the show. <laughs> and just took pictures and hung out and just was there. Like, I didn't have to worry about him not showing up or being late. We did an hour-long interview, which was only supposed to be 10 minutes. <laughs> and then he hung out for an hour after and, like, signed stuff for everybody in the audience. And he was over, over – I think he was over 80 at that point. He was just awesome. And he's so interesting. Just I mean, he was – you know, he acted on a million things from, like, the Twilight Zone to – he had album, he had record albums and he wrote poetry and he did photography. It was, that guy was great. He was a great, super nice guy. So, and that's the kind of, you know, when you meet somebody like that, it's like, ah, that's how everybody should treat each other in the business. Cause you know, you meet people all the time, I'm sure who are just, just not very gracious or kind who are, and who are successful, you know, and that's mm-hmm. disappointing, you know, yeah. sure. but, <laughs> those are the people who deserve the gong. Yeah. And the gong show. <laughs> Yes, they do. The Gong Show was fun. That was I, I. I hosted the live, the official live version of the Gong Show, and I, I met with the, the producer of that uh, Leslie Gold, who used to have a very popular radio show, the Radio Chick, and we shared the same vision for it. Like I always thought, the original Gong Show was like fun and upbeat. It was more like a party atmosphere. It was good natured, and then the the future incarnations of it were very like kind of roast, kind of cringy, kind of you know, not fun. So we shared that same spirit. And then I met with Chuck Barris. She had me meet with Chuck. She wanted him to sort of give his blessing. He was the original host and creator of the show. And, and a CIA agent. Yeah. He was, he was, yeah, secret agent. <laughs> right. And, they, and you know what's funny? When I met with him, they said to me, they said, don't ask him about the gong show. Don't ask him about if he was a spy or not, you know, because the movie Confessions of a Dangerous Mind is, is based on his right. life. And I'm like, what what am I going to talk to him about? I don't know what else, you know, what, how's real estate in upstate New York? I don't know what, to, you know. Anyway, <laughs> of course, we, we talked, of course, about the gong show and mm-hmm. he, he brought it up and he gave me, I told him how I, how I hope to do the show and sort of carry his torch. And of course, I did my take on it. I didn't, because, you know, the other thing I had to keep in mind was on a TV show, his was a 30 minute, it was a half hour TV show, which really means 22 minutes. And, you know, the audience is watching a lot of different camera angles. They're cutting around and it's not just on the host for 22 minutes. Right. So in a live stage version, I can't jump around like a maniac for 22 minutes. It's absurd. It's, you know, <laughs> but I could tell him I wanted it to be fun and good natured and like, 
if anyone is made fun of, I, I wouldn't be mean spirited. You know, J- Jay Leno had said that there was one time I met him and he said, he was just kind of giving random advice. And one of the things he said, he said to me, um, you know, you should never make fun of, don't make fun of like someone's weight. Don't make fun of what someone looks like. He goes, you can make fun of their tie. Don't make fun of, you know, their physical appearance. And, and to me, that it made perfect sense. You know, why would you do that? It's just mean and they can't change it or, or, or have a hard time changing it or don't want to change it. And they just are who they are. And so I, that, that really stuck with me. And I, and I said something like that to Chuck Barris as well. Like when we do the gong show, I don't want it. It's not going to be mean. It's going to be fun. So. Right. And I know there were, you know, you mentioned there were different incarnations of the gong show. Was the version you were tied to, was that pitched or in development for TV? Yes, they were. They had met with, I think, I think it was Sony TV, I think, to try to develop it as a TV show. And then as I learned from the the experience with Late Night, you know, executives come and go and they have their own thing they want to do. And I get it. So, you know, I, I never... I never, I never tell anybody about anything until anymore, until uh, like we've shot it and like the day it's going to air, I will then go and like post something on social media. I never say a word anymore because I did a pilot for a, a game show called Worth the Wait, where you basically, it was like trivia for people waiting online at like these really um, long lines at venues, like some people waiting online at Madison Square Garden to get into a concert or uh, at a broadway show or whatever it's actually really good it was a good it was good it was a good pilot i didn't tell anybody i did it until unless it got picked up there's there's no point to me you know you know why and that's happened a lot of times so i right I, you know so then how did you approach how did you approach uh gnome the owner of the comedy cellar or did he approach you how did this week at the we, comedy cellar come about well, we, we were talking one night at the club and he said to me, what do you think about a show? I don't remember exactly what he said, but something like, what do you think about a show um, where comedians would, you know, get on stage and talk about whatever's going on during the week and, you know, that kind of thing. And I and I said, I think it's a great idea. I'd love to run with it. Let me, you know, let me see what I can do. Because at that point, you know, I don't know if Noam knew everything I'd done, but, you know, I'd made I made that movie, The Latin Legends of Comedy, which I you know, foolishly, in hindsight, it was a huge risk, but it all worked out. You know, I financed that on credit cards and I ended up selling it to 20th Century Fox. And I'm lucky I did. I mean, that I recouped what I put out. But, um, he knew I, I, I was happy to do, do stuff, not get, get, you know, not let my hand, I'm happy to get my hands dirty. So I said, I love to run with it. And so I pitched it to a few different production companies and then, we know him and I met with a company that we ended up working with and um, we did the pie. I produced the pilot for that. And so, so it was he who originally said something and I said, let me, you know, run, run, run with the ball here. And, um, but from the time he first mentioned it to me to the time that thing got on the air, it took like three years probably. And, you know, and you, you want to keep some said what went on during those three years. It's like, you're keeping the ship afloat. It's like the production company gets sidetracked with other stuff. Noam gets he has his business to run. He gets sidetracked with other stuff, you know, and you're just trying to keep everything moving. And then lawyers take a while to hash out details, you know. And then when we pitched it, it went to we we pitched it to like eight or ten different places. Some places like Bravo and CNN, you know, it's great <laughs> to have those meetings, but you're like, it's never gonna end up there, you know. Right. So I had hoped that HBO was gonna 
take it because I was a huge Game of Thrones fan. I am a huge Game of Thrones fan, like a psychotic fan. And I, in my head, I'm like, well, if we have a show on the network, then certainly someone at the network would be more than happy to let let a producer on some other much smaller show fly to Croatia and meet the cast and hang out on the set. <laughs> uh, so, um, but as it turned out, we, the meeting with HBO went great, uh, but the show ended up uh, on Comedy Central, which, you know, we, we finished these, we wrapped season three literally as like, we were transitioning like to go into lockdown in New York as we finished season three. And I think we put a disclaimer on the, we shot, I think with a very small audience, people might've even had masks on at that point. And we put that disclaimer on, on those final couple episodes, but we, we wrapped season three, like then like five minutes after the, the, the computers were turned off. All right, now go get your being alone in your apartment for a couple of months. You know, it was like that quick. It was, it was a great experience. A great. It's a, you know, doing a, a weekly topical stand-up show, you're wrapping up one episode as you're prepping and shooting the next one. It, it's it's a it, it's crazy, but a great experience, a lot of fun. Um, you know, you learn so much more about certainly there's there's politics and everything, certainly in show business. And it was um it was good. It was a great experience. Right, because of course at Comedy Central, not only did the pandemic kind of put a kibosh on a season four but then there was such an overhaul of executives at comedy central that year yeah that i don't know if any of the people you worked with are still there i think they're all gone there might be one person on the west coast who's still there so i knew once once uh the network you know and this is not just viacom this is lots of companies they let go of of so many people when that happened i'm like we're probably not gonna have a season four now we, we couldn't shoot during the pandemic anyway and if we were going to, I mean, think about it. It's interesting, Sean. If we were actually going to resume a season four, it would have been over, definitely over a year into the pandemic. So, you know, by the time we, and then everyone would have had to be COVID test. There's no way to, to pull that off, to COVID test all those people. So even if everybody at the network had stayed, I don't know if a season four would have happened. But I knew once everybody was let go, that was the end of that, you know. So that's okay. That's how, did you, how did you personally cope with, not just the fact that you knew there wasn't going to be a season four, but then also I would presume you couldn't do the Aruba shows for a long time. Right. So what happened was the, and I, I, this, I think, you know, my, my sister, my oldest sister passed away unexpectedly two years ago yesterday, actually. So she, she passed away. We were, in production, the final two weeks of production, COVID had already, you know, obviously existed. So then we, um, we wrapped, we wrapped the show and we go into lockdown. So it's like, I'm alone in my apartment. I can't be with my parents because of, they weren't in the same state. So because of COVID can't, can't do that. I can't go to Aruba. Aruba was shut down. So I couldn't do any shows there. And suddenly I'm like, what the, like, it was just, it was surreal. Like, I can't even, like, you know, like you look back sometimes on something and you can't, like, you know, everything, you know, factually everything that happened, but you can't quite remember all, like, it's almost like, you know, it it still feels like it was like a, a, it didn't really happen to you, you know, Um, even though, you know, it did. So I started doing shows online uh, in part just to try to keep busy. And I really wasn't in the mood to do them. And then, you know, you trick, sometimes you don't feel like getting on stage, but you kind of can trick yourself into getting in the mood. And once you're doing it, you're feeling it. 
And with these Zoom shows, they ended up, I, I did them first to raise money for uh, an organization in Aruba. I donated the ticket sales. I, I used my, my database from the Aruba shows to have people buy tickets to watch online. And I donated the proceeds to an organization in Aruba. Mm-hmm. Then off that, I started this thing called Comedy Cloud. And Comedy Cloud, once I realized there was something, you can do Zoom shows. It's hard. It's challenging. It's, they, can, they can be fun. And Comedy Cloud was designed to do Zoom shows for companies who wanted to bring employees together, like reconnect people that are all working remotely and boost their morale and that sort of thing. And I also learned which comedians. So there's some amazing comedians that I know you're a fan of who suck on Zoom. Like they're awful. <laughs> they're not into it. Like they can't, like they're doing this for their care. Like they don't know what they're, it's right. a novel. So I got a, a group of comedians together that are good on it. And we did all, I did over a hundred shows for companies. So that was something to do. It's just weird. Like as soon as the show's over and you log off, you're like, Okay, and now I'm alone in my apartment again. This is great. <laughs> um, and then Aruba reopened in July of 2020. So that's when they got, they were COVID free. So I flew down here not to do shows, just to really needed a break after being cooped up in my apartment. I finally saw my, my parents, of course. So I spent a lot of time with them. And after that, I flew down to Aruba. I was on the first flight. And there was like, I mean, five, literally five people on the beach five, instead of, hundreds there were five the sea life was stunning um it was a gorgeous thing i had a couple friends i got them to fly down i stayed down there for nine weeks just to kind of just to be here but everything was closing early there were still restrictions you would be i was in bed at nine o'clock every night watching netflix there wasn't you know there was it was open but it was very limited um and then we started doing shows again december 1st of 2020 in aruba but it was two nights a week in a big spacious room that I'm sitting in right now. And there was probably 13 people at a show, 20 people at a show. People were still afraid to travel. Um, but people, I remember the first show was myself, Dan Adderman, and a guy from Boston named Tony V, who actually is in the cast of the movie Coda, which is currently nominated for an Oscar. And he won, he was a, they won the SAG award for best ensemble. So I'm very happy for him. Uh, great guy, great comic. So he, the three of us did the show. And after the show, multiple people came up to us and offered us $100 bills each. Like, thank you so much. We needed that. Please take this. Like, no, 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 no. We don't take tips. No, no. Please. We, we, we've been cooped up so long. This was so great. And I, I was shocked. I, was, I, didn't even, it had, I forgot that people, you know, I knew, I knew people were afraid to travel, but I hadn't even dawned on me. Oh, yeah. People haven't had any live entertainment, whatever. Anyway, we didn't. We didn't take the money, but, um, <laughs> but um, anyway, and it started to pick up. We still did two nights a week for that entire season. And, and what's funny, Sean, is that uh, there's a lot of comedians who canceled because they were afraid to travel or some got sick. Um, Erica Watson, God bless her soul. She passed away. Um, and uh, a lovely, lovely person, a great comedian. Um, so what ended up, happening is um brian mcfadden mike vecchione and katie hannigan all stayed down here in aruba for nine weeks in a row (laughs) they left for three weeks i brought in a few other people and then they came back and stayed for another three weeks so they were down here for 12 weeks each and it was we had a great time it's funny sean when when i said to mike if you wanted to stay longer and you know so many comedians are canceling they're afraid to travel getting sick I said, you want, you want to stay longer? And Mike said to me, he goes, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm moving to a new apartment, so i got to sort that out. And um, 
you know, but then again, uh, I can't really work in New York because nothing's open in New York and I can't go to the gym in New York and, and it is cold in New York. So, and it's, and he's like, yeah, he goes, yeah, what, what the fuck am I thinking? Of course I'll stay. <laughs> and every day we like, we go to the, we went to the gym, we went to the beach, we did shows, we had great food. It was really, it was this really great blessing. It was not this, none of us were making money doing shows at that point. And not, not even, it was absurd to even think, but it was a great, we could perform and we could be in front of people. And that was a godsend, you know, that was really nice. So right. it's gotta be wild to think back to like the kid version of Ray Allen, knowing that middle-aged man, Ray Allen would be spending half of his life in Aruba where there's signs around the Island with his name and his face on it. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's, it's funny. It's, you're right. If if anyone said that to me at when I was 15, when I was 20, when I I would think I would say I go what what's a, what huh what's Aruba? What do you mean? And I would never would have imagined it. And it's just funny how how life takes you on these different journeys. It's like, you know, I you know, I almost got the job Cash Cab. I almost got the job hosting that and it went to Ben Bailey. And and we're very quite different, so you know they they went in a different direction and that's okay. And instead of that, I, I don't, I don't remember if late net was before or after that. I have no clue, but you know, I, I might never have come to Aruba if I had done cash cab and you could, there's arguments for, for both, but I can certainly say that coming to Aruba has been just a wonderful experience, a wonderful, great life-changing experience that if I'd done cash cab, that might never would have happened. And I, I would have done some other thing, you know, that whole, the, the whole saying about one door, closes another one opens that's completely true but you have to be persistent and persevere and try to keep moving forward and i definitely have had periods where you get in a funk and you need to figure out a way to be motivated and just keep moving forward when you know everybody has sad facts in their life and of their life and you have to do your best to keep 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 you know forward momentum forward motion you know um you know everybody has some form of tragedy others more than others and whatever i don't know i'm going on a bit of a tangent but um but yes young me never would have imagined i come to aruba and aruba definitely um, emotionally during the pandemic was great financially it hasn't been it's it's been still been challenging because even though now we're fully open a lot of people are still afraid to travel because aruba is now there's next to there's almost no covid in aruba again and it's really they went from 4700 cases to like 30 in the past uh, six, seven weeks, it's great the way they've handled it. And you're outside most, a lot of the time. And of course, more people are vaccinated and so on. So if they get sick, they don't get sick. Like, I don't think anyone's passed away in Aruba in the last several months because the vaccines are, are keeping people alive. And there was triple the amount of COVID in Aruba two months ago than there was over a year ago when a lot of people did pass away. So... I got vaccinated down here in Aruba. I was very lucky. I, I got one shot of Pfizer and one shot of ceviche. And oddly enough, ceviche is just <laughs> as effective as Pfizer. And you, sw- and you swim even better. It's crazy how it works. Ending with a joke. What a professional. Ray, Ray Allen, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Thank you for giving me a professional reason to come to Aruba. I'm, I thoroughly love Aruba. I can see why you thoroughly love it. And I look forward to seeing you in person again soon. 
Sean, thank you. And I also want to thank you for, for being such a, a great supporter of the comedy community and, and cause you're not only a fan, but a, a, a terrific journalist and, and you are a, such a, a, a wonderful a part of the comedy community and uh, and I appreciate that very much and as I know a lot lot so many other comedians do as well and and I appreciate you having me on uh, on your show thank you so much Ray This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.